Well, good morning. My name is Jake, and I'm the youth pastor here. It's a good morning to worship with you and to open up God's Word together. So if you'll join me in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're continuing on in our study of 2 Timothy. Second Timothy 2, verses 20 to 26. Growing up, my mom always had a great love for dishes and for setting, table, uh, in a fancy, setting the table in a fancy way. She added to this collection bit by bit at yard sales or antique stores. Uh, and in our dining room and then down in the basement, she kept all the sets of silverware, goblets, plates, bowls, napkin holders, everything. She had, uh, she had everything she needed to set the table nicely. She loved to host dinners with family and her friends, uh, especially on Sunday afternoon. And she always could set the table in a way that made the occasion extra special. I can remember in our, in our dining room, there would be china cabinets, and there would be seasonal dishes that would change with each season. Um, and you couldn't have Christmas dinner in the beer house without the Christmas tree plates, and then the turkey ones at Thanksgiving time. Do I need to adjust my mic? Okay, I'll carry on. Uh, but so as a kid, I always enjoyed this sense of like a special occasion for these dinners and so on. But there are lots of things that I didn't understand about setting the table, and I still don't really understand them. Uh, for instance, I never really understood why you needed three separate forks for salad, dinner, and dessert. Like it always just seemed like overkill. I also didn't get. <laughs> I didn't get why there was, a, there was a special spoon just for serving olives, right? There was, a, there was a bowl and a spoon. That was the olive spoon. Couldn't be used for anything else. I didn't get the doilies and the table runners, but that's just the way it was. When you set the table, you had, it was set in a special way. My mom pulled out all the stops when she had company, and I can see now that this was one way of using her hobby to make her guests feel welcome and cared for. And so in my mind, she'll always remain an example of hospitality. She knew how to care for her guests. In 2 Timothy, we're going to see that Paul draws on this same image of dishes set apart for a special use. He wants us to be vessels in the master's house, vessels for Jesus, ready and available to be used by him for whatever purpose he should decide. So in 2 Timothy, verses 20 to 26, you can follow along with me. As I read, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. 
throughout the book of 2 Timothy, we've seen that Paul has charged Timothy to faithfully obey Jesus Christ. Uh, As a young pastor, Timothy was to devote himself to Jesus in the same way that soldiers, athletes, and farmers are devoted to their tasks. And unlike the false teachers, the Lord's servant must stand on the solid foundation of God's word. Well, in our passage today, we see that the Lord's servants are to be like vessels set apart for the master's use. And we see in verses 20 to 21 first, the making of a vessel. If we are to be used of the Lord, we should be like vessels. He gives us this metaphor in verse 20, the making of a vessel. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. This is a scene familiar to many of us. If not from our own experience, then at least from shows like Downton Abbey or maybe a tour of an old mansion somewhere. We're to picture this lavish mansion with huge kitchens, storehouses, and dining halls. The nobles are always throwing these parties and galas and balls. And in this house, there are many different dishes and vessels, some of which are for honorable purposes, like eating or drinking or serving food, and others are for dishonorable purposes, like garbage or refuge. There are many vessels in the house which have their various uses. But in verse 21... Paul says that we are God's vessels. He calls us to fit ourselves for honorable use by cleansing from what is dishonorable. And so we do this when we cleanse ourselves from sin, when we devote ourselves to God and make ourselves available to him. Great mansions need clean vessels. But I think this image also comes uh, from something in the history of Israel. In the Old Testament, with the use of the tabernacle and the temple, The priests used many various vessels. They had wash basins and bowls and cups that were used in the sacrifices and rituals. And before they could be used in the tabernacle or temple, they had to be set apart. They had to be consecrated by a special anointing, which then devoted them to their holy purposes. Here in this passage, you and I, followers of Jesus, are vessels which are devoted to God. And this is God's amazing grace. When devoted to God, even a wooden bucket can be made holy and used for holy purposes. You know, that gives me real hope that God can use somebody like me. So when Paul tells us that he wants us to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable, we're to devote ourselves like vessels to God. He wants us to work hard in pursuit of holiness, to separate ourselves from sin and to obey Christ. But at the same time, Paul knows that this is something never done apart from grace. Paul said in Philippians 2, 12 to 13, that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is ultimately the one who brings about change in our hearts and in our lives. But as followers of Jesus, we should all passionately and earnestly want to live holy lives to pursue righteousness. We call this sanctification. And sanctification is something we can't just like sit back and think, you know, God will sort me out one day. All all my messes and everything internally, God will just deal with it someday. We're to pursue righteousness day by day, even as we sense the Holy Spirit working in us. Paul wants us to cleanse ourselves 
and devote our lives to God like vessels fit for honorable use. And so this requires self-examination and the humility to admit that there are still areas of our lives where we need God's help. It requires us to look honestly at our own hearts and see where there is still sin, to see what areas of our lives have yet to be given over to God. As a kid, one of my jobs after dinner was to help clear the table and wash the dishes. And many of my mom's fancy dishes couldn't go in the dishwasher. They had to be washed by hand, and when you have, you know, 10 people over, that's a lot of dishes. And I can remember the feeling of washing, helping wash the dishes and putting them on the drying rack, only to realize as they began to dry that there were spots that I had missed. There were, you know, pieces of food stuck under the rim of the bowl or down in some crevice. Um, and so they would just have to be washed again. The only way to be sure that the dishes were completely washed was to turn them over slowly in my hand under the hot water, searching out every nook and cranny with a soapy sponge until they were completely clean. The same is true with our spiritual lives. We need to search out our hearts, thinking deeply, and inviting the Holy Spirit to come into those places where we would really rather he not go. This is something we do in the community of believers. Paul says we do this with all those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Together, we pursue righteousness and obedience to Christ. And when we're together, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who can lovingly point out areas of our lives that still need repentance and growth. We don't do this out of pride or arrogance, but out of love for Jesus and love for one another. God wants to cleanse every crack and corner of your heart. Will you invite him to do that today? He wants to make you holy. We all have this tendency to compartmentalize our lives, to put you know, things in boxes, to piece out what we think belongs to God and what belongs, we think, to us. We put church over here, our school and work lives over here, our money, our free time over here, and then think we're all set. The only problem is that the Holy Spirit knows no such bounds. He doesn't color within the lines. When Jesus saves you, he calls you to a new life. And that means that every part of you now belongs to him. Only when we open ourselves up and prayerfully invite the Holy Spirit to search us and to know us can the work of healing and cleansing really begin. Only then will we be vessels fit for God's purposes. And one of my favorite examples of this comes in the Gospel of John. When after the resurrection, Jesus is walking with Simon Peter on the beach. And Jesus knows that Peter denied him three times on the night of the crucifixion. And so he asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And if you remember, each time Peter responds kind of awkwardly and embarrassed. He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. But then Jesus, yeah, each time, Jesus comes down to Peter's level and calls him to feed the sheep. You see, what's so amazing about this passage is that even though Peter had denied Jesus and messed up big time, there was still grace for him. Through the Savior's love, he was saved from sin, but then he was also restored to usefulness. He was told to feed the sheep. See, I think this is a beautiful picture of God's grace to us. 
Jesus promises that he will not only save you from sin, but that he's still going to use you. He still has a use for you. It doesn't matter how, you know, how bad we've messed up or how far away from the Lord we might have strayed. When you come to faith in Jesus, you're not relegated to the B team or to sitting on the sidelines. By his grace, you are called and cleansed and fit for service. Now, like any set of nice dishes, there's a certain amount of maintenance that goes into, uh, there's a certain amount of maintenance that takes place in the lives of God's vessels. And this is what we see in verses 22 to, excuse me, verses 22 to 23. The maintenance of a vessel. My mom's dishes were special. We didn't just use her glass bowls for popcorn or the goblets for soda. They were kept clean and stored away safely in the cabinets so that they were ready to be used at the right time. Well, in the same way, as God's vessels, we must maintain a walk with Christ that keeps us from sin. And so in verses 22 to 23, Paul calls us to do two things at once, which are really two sides of the same coin. We're to flee from youthful passions, and we're to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So the picture is that we're to run away from danger and run to safety. We flee sin and we pursue righteousness. When we read youthful passions in verse 22, um, we, might kinda, we might think that Timothy's being warned about lust or something like that. Youthful passions. Uh, we might think of Joseph running away from Potiphar's wife. And certainly that would be a good warning for Paul to give to Timothy. I mean, he's a young, single pastor. Uh, That would be a good warning for Timothy and a good warning for all of us. But I think what Paul is really getting at here are the youthful passions that come from dealing with conflict. So in 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 the verses that we looked at last week when Pastor Dave spoke, we learned of Hymenus, I can't even pronounce it, Philetus and Hymenus, who were these false teachers who had stirred up conflicts and were causing arguments. They were causing some to... Uh, They were upsetting the faith of some. They were these people in the church starting conflicts everywhere they went. And uh, Timothy, as this young pastor, is really passionate about following Jesus. He's really eager to uphold the truth. And so he might be tempted when he sees those guys running around starting fires. He might be ready to jump into the middle of the dogfight. In the middle of all this spiritual chaos... He might become ambitious, impatient, harsh, argumentative. But Timothy is warned to flee from all those youthful passions, from all those temptations. If he's going to do the Lord's work, he's got to do it in the Lord's way. And so he's called to pursue righteousness, love, faith, and peace. This may be going back a couple years, but there used to be a group of TV shows Uh, that were really popular for a while, where the main character was either like a brilliant doctor or detective uh, who could solve any case that came his way, but at the same time, he was an arrogant jerk who didn't know how to deal with people. Uh, So I'm thinking of shows like Psych or Sherlock or House. Um, they They all had these main characters who were super, super smart and also terrible people. There was this big gap between... You know, what, how they could go out their job and how they treated other people. And those characters made for interesting shows. 
Uh, so I liked Psyche and Sherlock. But that's exactly the type of person that Timothy is warned about. Paul knows that Timothy is really smart. He's got a lot of Bible training. He has pastoral authority. And he has gifts in ministry. Uh, but all of that will come to nothing if Timothy fails to love people. It doesn't matter how competent he is, how smart, how courageous he is. If he gets in the middle of the dogfight and fails to love people, all his ministry will be for nothing. So Timothy's warned to stay out of foolish controversies, to avoid quarrels, and to pursue holiness. Unfortunately, older saints, I don't think, are immune to these youthful passions. Right? We might associate them with being youthful, but I'm sure even as we grow older, we still struggle with these youthful passions. No matter our age, we all have this tendency to fight. And, you know, sometimes it's even for a good cause. Uh, but sometimes, it's, if we look at our relationships, sometimes we have a tendency to fight, not even for spiritual things, but because we're caught up in some family drama. Or it's about politics or clashes between personalities that grow over years and years and years. Students, I'm sure that there's someone in your school who never stops talking. And they cause trouble everywhere they go. I'm sure we all know, adults, that there are people in our lives who love to hear themselves talk. And they can say the kind of things that make your blood boil. Right? They, they know exactly the right things to say to get your attention and to get a reaction out of you. And when this happens, we all have something deep within us that makes us just want to stand up and give them a piece of our mind. Right? We want to we knock them down, knock them off their high horse, do whatever it takes to get the final word. And sometimes we think it's even for a good cause. You know, this guy had it coming. He's been having it coming for 15 years and I'm finally going to give it to him, right? We have this feeling deep within us. Or maybe you've had the experience where, um, uh, you know, you, hours after an argument with somebody, you finally think of the perfect comeback. <laughs> and just, you just think to yourself, like, if, if only I had had the words back then, oh, I would have really given him something to think about. You know, I, he would have really, I would have really put him in his place back then. But if you've ever done this, or if you've, ever had, if, you've, if you've ever had those thoughts, you know that what Paul says in verse 23 is true. Pointless arguments breed quarrels that multiply and multiply to no end and cause destruction everywhere they go. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody where at some point in the argument you realize you don't even remember what you started arguing about before? The original argument is completely lost because now you're talking about something completely different. You know, 20 minutes down the road, you're suddenly arguing about the tone of their voice or something they said three weeks ago or something he said, she said, or, you know, maybe they mock you for stumbling over your words and mispronouncing something. Both of you are so flustered and caught up in the argument that you can't even remember what it was like at the beginning. That's, I think, what Paul is talking about here. These foolish controversies go nowhere, and they only bring destruction. But if we want to be vessels used by God, we cannot get sucked into these kind of pointless arguments. If we want to do the Lord's work, we have to do it in the Lord's way. 
And that means fleeing youthful passions and pursuing righteousness, love, faith, and peace. In these last few verses, verses 23 to 26, we see the ministry of a vessel. We see how how the making of the vessel and the maintenance of the vessel, how all of that comes down in real life with the ministry of a vessel. As God's servants, as followers of Jesus, how are we to live and walk in the midst of conflict? Here in these verses, the metaphor kind of shifts a little bit, but it's still related. Paul's been talking about vessels in the master's house or dishes, um, but then he returns back to this idea of the Lord's servant. He says that in verse 24, the Lord's servant. So we're vessels in the master's house, but we're also servants. We can think of ourselves like cooks or waiters or butlers. The two ideas are tied together, and Paul describes now how we are to behave as the Lord's servants. One of the commentators said, I think this is right, that uh, in verses 23 to 26, the dominating theme is peace. Peace is something that we were told to pursue in the previous verses, and the Lord's servant must be known for peace. I had a professor in seminary once say that being a leader sometimes meant just being the adult in the room. When tensions are high and tempers are flaring, the Lord's servant must be a person of peace. Um, we see this description, or we see this in the description that Paul gives. He says in verse 24 that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. He must not get caught up in bickering or making the argument tit for tat, but rather pursue peace and kindness. He goes on to say that the Lord's servant is a patient teacher. Timothy, as a pastor, is going to do a lot of teaching, but he must do so patiently. He's to correct his opponents with gentleness, holding together these two ideas of truth and love. Timothy is not to stoop to the level of the false teachers and just argue constantly. Uh, you know, if, if you have ever seen a child throw a temper tantrum, you know that's not the time to have a reasonable dialogue with a kid about their behavior. So Timothy needs to learn, he, he needs to learn to pick his battles, to look for patient, teachable moments where he can be, a, where he can be this, uh, this patient teacher, the Lord's servant who is kind to everyone and able to teach. And, and because of this, because his teaching is going to require patience and kindness, Paul goes on to say that the Lord's servant must be able to patiently endure evil. He must put up with evil. Paul wants Timothy to know that he's going to have to put up with bad attitudes and difficult people because spiritual change is not something that always happens overnight. You know, this doesn't mean that he's to turn a blind eye to sin or to excuse someone's sin, but it does mean he's going to have to endure. He's going to have to endure personal insults and attacks. He's going to have to endure. As the Lord's servants, we also need to willingly endure the hurtful behavior of others. But I think this is a little bit different than simply having thick skin. If you've heard that phrase, you know, you tell people to grow up or have thick skin, not let insults bother them so much. I don't think that's what Paul is getting at here. This isn't some kind of nonsense like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. 
because words do hurt. Um, he's not, I don't think that's what he's getting at. I think instead, Paul wants us to see our conflicts and problems against the larger backdrop of the gospel. Jesus was insulted, mocked, whipped, beaten, and crucified for our sake. He said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, for your reward is great in heaven. That's what we are to have in our minds. Not simply, oh, that person's words, they don't really bother me because I have thick skin or I'm tough or I don't really care what they think. Rather, Paul wants us to see our conflicts and problems against what Christ has done. By patiently enduring evil, we become like Christ in his suffering. And God can use us to redeem lost sinners. This is something we see in verses 25 and 26. In, these, uh, in those verses, Paul pulls back the veil and shows us what is happening, what is really happening behind the scenes in the spiritual realm. He wants us and Timothy to see our conflicts with other people as part of a larger picture. He says that the problem with, with these people, these contentious, argumentative people, is that they have lost their senses, they have been ensnared by the devil, and they have been captured by him to do his will. You know, so what those people in your life who really get on your nerves, what they really need is not like a witty one-liner. They don't need a smack across the face as much as you would like to give it to them. What they really need is for God to break through to them, for God to rescue them, for God to bring about repentance in their life, freeing them from the snare of the devil. This ultimately takes an act of God. And so we need to pray for our enemies, pray continually asking that the Lord would grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. But even as we pray for them, God wants to use us as his vessels in their lives. He will use us when we yield ourselves over to him as instruments in the salvation of others. We can be vessels ready and able to serve them, to love them, to teach them patiently until the Lord brings them to the knowledge of the truth. And in all of this, God is the one who gets to pick our use. Uh, God is the one who can determine what to do with the vessel, what to do with the dish, which plate goes where. Sometimes, Jesus leads us into places and situations where we would really rather not go. He calls us to love and serve difficult people. If it were up to us, we might not have anything to do with these people, but the master is the one who gets to, who gets to use the vessel however he wants. The master is the one who can put you in that situation. You know, some of you this morning are probably involved in some really difficult and complicated situations. Uh, whether that's family issues or estranged relationships, maybe a conflicted workplace or wherever. You may have been brought into this situation where you feel overwhelmed and hopelessly unqualified. You're surrounded by difficult people and hard situations which you feel you have no power to deal with. We see difficult people at school or work. We see broken marriages and families. We see the plight of the poor and the chaos and neediness of our world. And all of it just feels like too much. 
Uh, you know, it's beyond our ability to fix. And it is. Only God can do it. The good news is that you are only a vessel. You are God's instrument. When we yield ourselves over to God, devoting ourselves to him and asking, us, asking him to use us however he will, he will use us. God promises to fill us with the Holy Spirit, who will give us more patience, love, and wisdom than we could ever imagine. Like vessels filled up, we will be used of God wherever he calls us. You know, Esther was just an ordinary Jewish girl who became the queen of Persia. She was called by God for such a time as this and was used to save God's people. It may be that everything in your life has been leading up to this point, this difficult situation where God is going to use you wherever he has called you. And so if you're in one of those situations this morning, think prayerfully about how you can make yourself available to God, how you can be like a vessel used by him in his service. Maybe you need to pick up the phone and make a phone call this afternoon. Maybe students, there's somebody in school who you know could use a friend and you could be the one to go sit with them at lunch tomorrow. I'm sure if we went around the room, we could name any number of difficult situations that we all are facing. But when we devote ourselves to the Lord, he promises to use us. And when we as the Lord's servants live out our faith in whatever situation he has placed us, we're going to be used by God in ways that we can't even imagine. All we can do is offer ourselves up as vessels to him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the truth of it. We thank you that you have chosen to use even broken, sinful people like us. Would you please cleanse us and wash us so that we can be vessels fit for your service? Give us patience, love, and peace as you call us to serve difficult people in chaotic situations. We thank you for the strength you have for us and trust that you will be at work as we offer ourselves up to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.